Standing up in McKinney, this is According to Callus on January the twen- 10th, <laughs> January the 10th, that's right, uh, episode 329. By now they will have probably sworn in all of our new state reps and state senators and they'll get about mm, five minutes of airplay today. Because today is a Texas Tuesday. Yes, you've heard that right. It is a Texas Tuesday, not a Texas Tuesday. The reason being is there is Texas stuff to be dealt with right here in McKinney. That's right. So the problem with elected officials, that's how we're going to subtitle today's episode. So as I may have said a time or two in the last two, three years here, The number one problem with elected officials is they forget who they work for. Now, if you want to be completely cynical, they follow the money. And there's something to be said for that. But your voters, the people in your town that you're elected to represent, or your district or city or however it's broken up for you, you're supposed to work for them. Now... Republicans, there's a word I want to use, Republicans seem to be overly concerned about, I don't know, representing all of their people. And it boggles the mind why they would be concerned about a progressive, a leftist, a communist. It would seem to me that it would be in their best interest to start with the moderates and move right, if you've got an R after your name. I mean, the leftists, the Democrats, have no problem going as far left as they think they can possibly get away with and driving their agenda all the time. And we as liberty-loving constitutionalists wonder what happened to all those so-called conservatives. What, what happened to those people that were supposed to be the guardians of liberty? Why are they failing to do the thing that they said they were going to do? Everybody in Texas that runs as a Republican claims to be a conservative. Most of them say they're good Christian men and women. Uh, I don't know their hearts. I don't know all their fruits, so I'm not going to touch that one. But if you're a good conservative, how do you justify not opposing the alphabet stuff being injected into schools where it affects minors whom you're supposed to be protecting, just as a thought. Okay, the second problem is elected officials protect themselves first. It is extremely rare to find an elected official that will take a risk. Now, there are different risks that can be taken. It could be as simple as saying, this is what my district wants. And even though the speaker or the governor or lieutenant governor doesn't want it, the people in my community do. They do support this or vice versa. The people in my community will not support this. They oppose this. And even though party leadership thinks it's a good idea, I'm sorry, I can't do that. We just got to witness this firsthand with our newly elected 
House Representative Keith Self. He stood strong with 20 other people and forced concessions. Now, whether or not the concessions are going to play out and be real is another story altogether, but it have been very easy for Congressman Self to just get on board and go along to get along and get some quasi-plum assignment as a freshman congressman. That would have been the easy way to go. And I'm going to be honest, I was a little surprised because it is a risk. It is a risk to go against the guy that's going to be speaker. The The risk entailed is, you know, you don't get to move up in the party hierarchy as quick. Now, I will say this about Congressman Self. It has always been my opinion that he is less worried about the party and far more worried about the principal. Now, I know some people out there are probably screaming at their uh, iPod or whatever you're listening to me on. Yes, I understand you may disagree with some of the principles. You may mm, not approve of some of his choices, but the guy has a strong, consistent track record of making a decision and standing by that. And you have to applaud that even if you don't necessarily agree with the issue. I have said many times there are progressives out there whom I vehemently disagree with, and I think they're just dead wrong, but I have to give them credit for standing to their principles, even though I don't like those principles. So I'm asking you to give the same courtesy, the same credit to Congressman Self. I think it's highly unlikely he's going to do anything in his first term that would disappoint us, we the constituents, but alas... He is the exception to the rule. By the time you've made it to Congress or the U.S. Senate, you've long ago forgotten who your constituents were. you long ago forgotten who you're working for. You need not look any further than our U.S. Senator John Cornyn. Apparently, there's a move afoot now to ask him to resign, to ask him to step down. I was fully in favor of the censure, you know, repudiating some of the actions he's taken, but why, why would you be asking the guy to resign? I mean, the, the very same governor that abused his power and, quite frankly, is not a fan of liberty at all would get to appoint his replacement. I guarantee you, with very few exceptions, we're not going to get something significantly better than John Cornyn. And by no means does that mean I'm a fan. I had a little something to do with making sure that censure vote got put up in Collin County. The guy doesn't impress me anymore. I mean, he might have been something once upon a time, but now all he does is protect his own turf. You know, and again, you can look at how this transpires down to the U uh, from the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate to the Texas State House and the Texas State Senate. Very few Republican state senators are ever willing to buck the lieutenant governor to push back on him. Now, we've got one in the area. His name's Bob Hall. Now, Bob Hall is also a smart guy, and he plays nicely when he has to, but when it's a matter of principle, he's not willing, or I should say he's not afraid to be willing to put his foot down, to stick his neck out. To say, no, this is the right thing to do here. And he's done that publicly. And 
Honestly, I really got to applaud the guy. I mean, <laughs> out of 30 some odd senators, we've got one. <laughs> I don't really like those odds. <laughs> 3% of the people of Texas are willing to stand for liberty or stand for something other than what the lieutenant governor wants. Oh, wait, you mean that's not what it is? Oh, it's just a reflection of who our state senators are. That's all. Now, maybe there's a handful more state senators that will occasionally, uh, you know, publicly stand up or do the right thing. And don't get me wrong, there's what, 10 or 11 Democrats? And they might go against the lieutenant governor, but they're following orders from whatever their party wants. So I really would appreciate it if we could find, oh, I don't know, somebody with an independent mind, somebody with a backbone that would go there and actually represent the people that sent them there. Again, they're protecting themselves. And the same thing's going to play out in the Texas House. I mean, we need not look any further than our state reps. The three that we have that are incumbents that were reelected ensured that their house seats would be completely safe. They set us up with a nice, clean, safe house seat in 61, and they sacrificed House District 70. Now, they said they were doing us a favor because the demographics were changing, the population was exploding, and they didn't think that they could keep all five seats Republican. Okay, so you created a seat that was not marginal like we were told, not plus two like we were told, but actually negative five or seven. And to Jamie Jolly's credit, notwithstanding all of her flubs and her problems, she still came within a whisker's breath of winning. Much like... Jeff Leach and Matt Shaheen had to endure for their last two terms in their former districts, coming down to these nail biters to win. And the one thing that always surprised me is they had two entirely different tactics. Matt generally ran more right and was a little more aggressive when campaigning. And Jeff just pretended he was already your guy and he's the best guy there. And why would you want to swap him out? And, yeah, you know, I, I, other than being pro-life, uh, you know, I'm here for all of you. Okay. It worked. It got them over the hump. They got to redistrict their districts. So where they're basically bulletproof from a Democrat challenger for the next 10 years. But honestly, I kind of hope they're looking at retirement. They, they've served their 10 years. They've at least at this point done what they ought to have done. And we should be bringing in new blood. But... I'm also 100% confident neither one of them is looking at retirement anytime soon. And then there's Candy Noble. And, I mean, she's a good Republican. She is a good Republican. And the governor's happy with her. And the Speaker of the House will be happy with her. And, honestly, a majority of her constituents are happy with her. But no risk ever. Nothing aggressive ever. I'm just, we're Collin County. We should at least have one state rep that's aggressive and a fighter. Now the jury's still out on Frederick Frazier. He's brand new and I'm going to have enough grace and kindness to give him an opportunity to prove himself. I am holding out hope that HD 61 will be represented well.
he's been in the political game for a long time. He's friends with the speaker-to-be. We'll see. If your job as an elected official is to cut deals and enrich yourself and protect your position, I will say that pretty much every elected official in the surrounding counties gets an A+. With the exception of Don Huffines, who irritated enough people that he lost his Senate seat because they changed it up on him enough. And honestly, Brian Slayton. I mean, they're going to try and take that guy out. They tried it this time. They weren't able to pull it off. They'll try it again next time. It doesn't make any sense to me. You got the one guy in Senate District 8, Brian Slayton, who puts his head neck out all the time to protect liberty, to stand for important principles. And his own party, his own team from his Senate district delegation spends more time going after him than Democrats. And yes, I'm talking about you, Jeff Leach. I understand everybody's got a virtue signal to their group every now and again. Their constituents want to be happy and know that we're on the same team. But again, who are your constituents, Jeff Leach? You now have arguably one of the most conservative districts in Cowlin County. One would only hope that you would want to impress them. And I'm I'm hopeful. I really am. I called you after you won your primary. I congratulated you. And I told you you'd return to your original form. I, I was hoping that you would. That I was encouraged that you might. And you, you seemed a little taken aback at that. And I didn't mean it as a slight. I mean, I will acknowledge that you pick up a lot of hate from those on the right. I get it. And you're probably not enthusiastic about it. I get it. And I'm probably not your best friend. So what? We want the same things, right? We don't want babies being killed. We don't want uh, young children being mutilated to change, quote unquote, their appearance or their gender. And we want Texas to be sovereign. Now, we have different definitions of what sovereignty in Texas means. But I've heard you say that you don't think D.C. should be running Texas. So clearly, at one point, at least, you thought that Texas ought to assert their authority. I'd like you to return to that. I'm confident that you're now in a nice, safe seat. You might do that. But the jury's out. And I don't fault elected officials for wanting to move up the hierarchy. I don't fault elected officials for wanting to expand their influence. But when they cease to function and protect their constituents, and look after their constituents, and look after Texas as a whole, that's a problem. And the corollary to that is, they will not take a risk, right? The the problem with elected officials is they won't take a risk. They conveniently push things off to the judges. Now, unfortunately in Texas, or fortunately, depending on your point of view, we elect almost all of our judges. And that can be good or bad. When you elect a judge, that means you're pretty much stuck with that judge until such time the judge doesn't want to stay around anymore. Unless, of course, they upset enough attorneys that the attorneys basically find a way to get rid of them. It's happened on occasion. I'm not excited about political judges, but every judge is always political. If you don't believe me, look at the Supreme Court of the United States. Every one of those people there is a political person. Some are more likely to wear it on their sleeve than others. But at the end of the day, their understanding, 
their interpretation, their uh, desires will dictate how they form their opinion on the cases before them. Again, the same thing holds true to Texas, but they're extremely difficult to beat. They're extremely difficult to replace, much like any other elected official. So why our elected officials, our state reps, our state senators would want to always defer to the courts makes no sense to me. They're the legislative body. They're supposed to write the law. They're supposed to dictate the terms on which law is put forth. And they, they'll either hand it off to regulators, hand it off to the courts, because they don't want to ever take responsibility for what they do. And this is not limited to Texas. I mean, why do you think we have all the problems we do in D.C.? Because every one of those elected officials in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, they're playing a game. They know that if they just empower some regulated regulations to a bureaucratic organization that will continue to abuse and grow their organization, they can wipe their hands of it and take no responsibility for what happens because they really don't care because the rules don't apply to them. Again, how is that any different than what goes on in Austin? Not significantly. When you have, I don't want to, hmm. When you can have people indicted, falsely or truthfully indicted, and they still run for office and they still win. And I will tell you flat out, I can think of at least two or three people that have what I would term BS indictments, excuse the phrase, but they run, they ignore it, or they fight it, and they still run, and they win. I'm uncomfortable with that, but the flip side of this, the other side, the Democrats, the progressives, they're so much better at this, finding ways to legally go after people that are representatives that maybe drew outside a line somewhere or didn't dot an I or cross a T and they bludgeon our people all the time. And then our team goes, Oh, you know, we we really shouldn't have that person running. It's a, it's a bad for us. It makes us look bad. Okay. That's true. Maybe. But if they're on message, the elected official says, Hey, you know, this is, this is garbage. This means nothing. Um, it's just here to try and slow me down. I mean, how many stories have we heard about our AG, which arguably is the best AG in the entire country as far as getting stuff done and fighting our battles. But how many times have you heard stories about, oh, this is going to take him out for sure. This is bad. I mean, even Louis Gohmert gave up his congressional seat because he was, quote, worried about this. And I much, much, much rather have Louis Gohmert in Congress. Now, maybe we'll get fortunate and... Cornyn will get enough pressure and Louis will run against him. I mean, that would be ideal. Love to have Louis Gohmert as a U.S. Senator. That would actually give us quite the powerful duo with Cruz and uh, Gohmert. But, I mean, that's wishful thinking and it's also basically three years out. So, <laughs> I'm not going to hold my breath, but the reality is, is we're stuck. We're stuck with what we've got and when our people, the people on our team are more afraid of the left than they are of us. They just hide in their shell and won't take any risks. And I don't know why. 
Louis Gohmert has shown that when he steps out and gets aggressive, his people back him. His people are thrilled him. Brian Slayton showed the same thing. Bob Hall showed the same thing. You get aggressive, you stay on message, you do your thing. Your people are happy. They're excited. They'll back you. This is a lesson that I'm hoping our reps will learn. Take to heart and do something more. Now, I don't want to, <laughs> let's put it this way. I'm fairly certain we all know that uh, we're going to get the same speaker. We're going to get Dade Phelan, and he's going to be the speaker of the House of the U.S., or I'm sorry, not the U.S., the Texas House, and our entire delegation out of Collin County is going to support him. i got to be honest with you, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. However, this is the same guy that appoints Democrats to be House chairs, and the number one policy complaint and concern and principle and priority is no more Democrats as chairman. And our very same elected officials in Collin County are defending the practice. Now, I don't know if they're defending the practice to defend the speaker. I don't know if they're defending the practice to defend themselves for voting for the speaker. I don't know if they're defending the practice because they actually expect us to legitimately believe that it's good to have Democrats as committee chairman. I don't know what their motivation is. I will tell you as an objective viewer from outside, I can see the benefit of a few key Democrats on some committees somewhere. I I could see the value of that. I don't see the value of giving them 20%. Or 30% or half the committee chairmanships. I could see 5%. I mean, who knows how many committees they're going to have or subcommittees, but I could see the value of having one or two key Democrats that, you know, side on some major issues with us in a position to where they can help us. But let's face it, the Democrats are much better at taking orders from their party hierarchy. They're not going to do us any favors. They're really not going to help us when the chips are down. They're really not going to do the right thing in my opinion, right? They're thinking they're doing the right thing. But I'm saying is if you're doing what's best for Texas, occasionally that means you put away the party label and you do what's right. And I'm not saying this is all only Democrats ever because (laughs) we've got our own uh, uh, log in the eye on that one. But I am saying that if we're going to try and force the issue and make sure we have no Democrats in authority anywhere, which again, in theory, sounds great, we have to also be prepared that we're not going to be happy with the results from some of those Republicans that they put in authority. It's no secret that while we have a near two-thirds majority in the House, at least 40% of those quote-unquote Republicans are not liberty lovers. They're not conservatives. They're not really there for anything other than the prestige and what it gives to them, which goes back to the problems with elected officials. And the last one we're going to spend any time on today, money talks. Elected officials appreciate 
their workers. They appreciate the block walkers, the phone callers. They appreciate a lot of things, but what they really appreciate is people that give them money. And I'm not talking about a hundred bucks. Eh, maybe a thousand dollars impresses them. But when you're talking 10, 20, 40, 50, a hundred thousand dollars that they get from somebody or some organization or some business, oh, that money talks. They're really impressed now. They know exactly what they're working for. That next big fat check. And if you doubt me, let me remind you that I talked about the book Confrontational Politics, written by a former state senator out in California. And he noticed this phenomenon years ago, and he created PACs to battle against it. He decided that if they're going to use money to fight the battle, we have to show up to the battle with our own money. And we do have some of those organizations in Texas. And I would say, by and large, they're doing a really good job of fighting the fights they can win, joining in the battles where it makes a difference, and kind of changing the way things happen in Texas. And I want to applaud them. Now, I'm not going to mention anybody by name. It's not that hard to figure out who they are because I kind of like the fact that they're a little low-key about most of this stuff. I kind of like the fact that they encourage these people to be strong. The problem is we're still outnumbered. We're still outgunned, figuratively speaking. And we've got outside forces coming in with lots more money than what we have here. And they're flooding the elections. Yeah, in the Democrats, they talk about only certain aspects of the elections that are a problem, and then the Republicans, they talk about some of the other aspects. But the idea that we're taking in oodles of money from other states or other countries and using it to change the outcome of the elections in the great state of Texas, and at some point in the future, perhaps the Republic of Texas, it ought to be very concerning to you that we tolerate this. But both sides benefit, because money talks. And if we don't show up with our own money and we don't counter this, we're going to be dead in the water. So again, the problem with elected officials. Now I've laid out what I feel is a very broad overview of what ails Texas, the problem of elected officials. I've briefly mentioned what can be done to counter it. But I would be remiss if I left off the following information. How many of you out there in my listening audience spoke to an individual last year during the primary that believed if they didn't vote for Abbott, they were going to get Beto? How many of you had that same conversation with any election in the Republican primary where you told them you should support so-and-so? And they came back to you, well, if I don't support the incumbent, I'm going to get the Democrats. Now, that's very convenient for the Republican Party. That's very convenient for all of our apparatchiks, the the incumbents. It's, It's very nice. And they've now pushed that primary up so far that it makes it near impossible for you to mount an adequate attack for the primary because there's not enough time 
to gain enough steam to adequately build a team and a, a power to go against these guys. It had very little to do with the <clears throat> election of the president. That's the story we were given. But really, the early voting's like in March now? <laughs> Come on. How much time do you need? Look, I, look. First of all, the whole idea of early voting is a mess and a joke and sets us up for all sorts of problems. Governor Abbott, I doubt you're going to ever hear this, but dude, man, you got to end that. And your executive order to extend it for like a nearly a month? That's crazy talk. Look, if you want to give them a few days of early voting because not everybody's off on the same time and can't necessarily take it, fine, whatever. We even talked about this in the convention, right? Okay, well, we're going to start early voting on a Saturday. You can early vote Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and then election day is Tuesday. So it's four votes total, or I'm sorry, four days to vote total. End of story. I, I mean, I think even that's a little generous, but at least then you get both days of the weekend, a Monday in the run up to the Tuesday election, and no break. The break has been undoing us for years, and we just don't know it. I mean... If you get an idea how many people voted in a given district, you know how many other votes you need to have show up to overcome that. It's no secret. I mean, both sides play the ballot harvesting game. Democrats are much better at it. Both sides play the game about making sure their voters show up. Again, the Democrats are generally better at it. If you just hold a vote, that should be enough. But the real shortcoming is we don't have an educated public. The people don't really know how this works. They don't know how, how it was set up and how it was organized. And I got to believe it was on purpose. And who benefits? Oh, yeah, the elected officials. If you were able to convince every Democrat out there by voting for a different Democrat, they're going to get stuck with a Republican. And you're able to um, convince the vast majority of the Republicans out there, well, if you vote for somebody other than the incumbent Republican, you're going to get stuck with the Democrat. Well, of course, your election's over. And I mean, the way they draw these seats now, with the exception of HD 70, pretty much every seat's a given to the party that's there, to the person that's the incumbent. And it behooves us to deal with this and deal with it head on. What does that mean? This is really the brass tacks. What does that mean? It means that if we get the same level of nothing out of the Texas legislature, and before I get criticized for that, yes, I'm aware we got a couple of really good bills for the priorities, but if that's not the most conservative session ever, come on. Or if it is, that's a sad statement of just how weak the conservatives slash Republicans are in the state of Texas. Every incumbent needs a primary challenger. Even if it's not a good primary challenger, just the fact that they know that their district wasn't happy with them to the extent that somebody spent the time and the money to run against them. And if they get in double digits, that's going to really raise an eyebrow because now that means that that nice 10 point swing cushion they put in their district is going to be questionable because a lot of those primary voters, when their guy loses, they kind of hold a grudge. Now, whether that's a good thing or not, I'm not going to go there. 
every elected official that does a marginal or poor job needs to have a primary opponent. And I would say that from both parties. Now, I know that Democrats are better disciplined than we are. I know the likelihood of that happening is slim to none. But if we're not willing to do anything about it, then next session, two years from now, I don't want to hear any complaints from anybody if you didn't follow through on it. A threat that's hollow is a meaningless threat. These house reps know it. I mean, a house rep has immediate access to at least a million dollars to run for office again if they need it. That means for you to be a viable primary candidate, you're going to have to have at a bare minimum $300,000, maybe half a million. Now, I got to ask you, how is it that a house seat is worth so much money, especially when they really don't get that much done? Well, it's got to be worth money to somebody because they keep raising it and they keep spending it. Money talks. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't mean to be a downer, but this is Texas. This is the state of affairs as they are now. And as we kick off our next legislative session, and we're all going to be watching with bated breath to see whether or not we get the most conservative session ever. Just pay attention to what your house rep does, what your state senator does. Be at least nominally familiar with the bills or the issues that are important to you so that you can see if these people do the things that they said they were going to do. We all know they campaign as great liberty-loving conservative Christian blah, 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 blah. But once they're in office, you get to see what they're really made out of. Now, will they show up like Keith Self and stand? Will they make noise and push back like Brian Slayton or Bob Hull? Or will they continue to go along to get along, to move up the ranks? Therein lies the the answer that we're looking for. What will they do? And this session is going to tell us. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. I got nothing more to say on that today. If you thought this was educational, informative, entertaining, or just plain (laughs) annoying, (laughs) I would ask you to subscribe, like, and share this show. If you feel particularly motivated, please rate it or comment on it. It helps a lot. We hit 65K yesterday. I'd love to see that number be north of 75 by the end of the month. It is growing. We're doing a good job of getting the word out. Look, I could spend all day, every day, griping and attacking people by name for individual full files or personal issues, but that's not what this is about. We need to focus on the issues and the principles at hand. Yes, occasionally names get brought up. I referenced more than one today. Some good, some not so good. But you don't go after the person individually, personally. You go after the principles. You go after the policies that they're supporting or against that you feel are worthy of them reconsidering. That's the proper way to go about doing that. We hold ourselves to a high standard. If we're not willing to continue to do that, then we're lost. With that... I thank you. Listen to my my ad that I'm tacking on the end here. 
Uh, you know, I'm doing this as a solid for a friend of mine. He's in business. He's taking good care of his customers. I think you should check him out. <laughs> he even made his own ad. It's pretty sweet. Uh, stick around. And until tomorrow, I'll see you on the other side. Canceled by the big tech mafia, but inadvertently profiting from owning their stocks in a mutual fund or ETF. At Two Pillars, they believe that censorship is a form of violence and a business practice that does not promote human flourishing. In many cases, through their investigative screening process, they can help you divest from companies that are denying your God-given inalienable right to speak freely. Hey, patriots, Two Pillars believes it's time for conservatives to align their values and investments. Two Pillars is your place for impact investing in the parallel economy. Find out what's in your investment portfolio with a complimentary portfolio review. Contact them today to learn more. Call toll-free at 833-377-0051 or send an email to info at twopillarsam.com. That's info at T-W-O-pillarsam.com. Get started today. Advisory services are offered through Jacob and Boaz Asset Management, LLC, doing business as Two Pillars, Asset Management, or Two Pillars. A registered investment advisor in the states of Texas and California. Two Pillars is not endorsed by any government agency and is not engaged in the practice of law or tax advice.